ان الحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه واله وصحبه وسلم ومن والاه بعد ما برادر سسترز وي كونتينيو ويز اور سيريز اون ليدرشيب ليسنز فروم ذا لايف اوف رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم انا بيجان يسترداي ويز انتروديوسينج رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم تو سي هو از محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اند توداي وي ويل كونتينيو ويز ذات Uh, and see why we must study the seerah why must we love rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh, it's important to understand this before we go into the actual leadership lessons because learning leadership lessons from the life of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is not like learning leadership lessons from the life of any other uh, person in the world whoever that might be Uh, because our relationship with rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is absolutely unique and different from our relationship with anybody else for example i might study the life and i have studied the i i, I read biographies uh, almost exclusively and i uh, think it's a very good thing to read biographies and i strongly recommend that because uh, biographies are a very good way of learning about life Uh, from the lives lives and struggles of other people uh, without having to go through the difficulties yourself and uh, the benefit of biographies is that uh, they make it real it's not it's not theory uh, you know the individual you may not know them personally but you know this person actually did exist and you know some of the circumstances in which they existed and therefore you know what kind of challenges they might have faced and so on and so forth so if i'm studying the biography of nelson mandela or mahatma gandhi or whoever it might be uh, it is easy to study that it is easy to to learn the lessons from that i don't necessarily uh need to love mahatma gandhi or love nelson mandela uh, or have some belief about them it's not that, that's not required i am looking at uh, lessons from their lives i can take the lessons there's no, there's nothing to prevent me from taking the lesson from the life of anyone else but for the for in the but in the case of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh because we are muslim and we believe in la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah therefore for us it is not just a matter of saying here is the life of a great man uh, let me see what lessons i can learn uh, this is incidentally uh, actually this is the in the in, in my preface to uh, my book leadership lessons from the life of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam i actually mentioned this particular aspect uh, to say that there is a difference between a muslim writing about the life of uh, um there is a difference between a muslim writing or speaking about nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam and a non muslim uh, even when the non muslim ha- is speaking about him in a very complimentary way and there are many people uh, present and past uh, non muslims who have studied the life of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in detail and who have written some very good books and very complimentary and very uh, fair portrayal of the life of, of nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam but there is a distinct difference between a muslim writing such a thing and a non muslim writing such a thing because a muslim writes it from the perspective of his or her own relationship with muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam which is unique which is something which is deeper and supersedes every other relationship except the relationship with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalla the relationship with muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is bigger it is deeper it is it has more love in it it is Uh, it it uh, supersedes even the relationship between a parent and a child 
So we love Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam more, and we should love him more than we love our own parents. Even though the love for parents is mentioned many times in the Quran, and I will give you the dalil from the Quran itself why I am saying this. Even though it's mentioned many times, but the love for the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam supersedes that; it goes even beyond that. And we will see why this is so, and so on and so forth. So the, we will to look at this issue and say why must we love Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Let me begin, therefore, with um, one of the uh, very important uh, incidents in the Sira, the meeting of Rasulullah with Umm Ma'bad, Atika bint Khalid, radhiyallahu anha, who Nabi sallallahu alaihi met when they were going from Makkah to Madinah in the journey of Hijrah. Uh, Umm Ahmad radiallahu she had a camp in a place called Qudayt and uh, she and her husband lived there. They had their animals, their sheep and so on. Uh, and she would sit in the, in the courtyard of her uh, camp and she would uh, feed and she would help any travelers who passed by. So if anyone was there, they stopped there, she would feed them and so on and so on. Now, it so happened at this particular time, when Rasulullah reached there, and there were four of them, there was Nabi Sallallahu himself, there was Abu Bakr anhu, there was Amr ibn Fuhaira anhu, who was a freed slave of Rasulullah There is a fantastic, beautiful story about Amr ibn Fuhaira, which inshallah I will also tell you in the, in the uh, seerah. And there was Abdullah, and uh, Amr ibn Fuhaira was their guide. Uh, and then there was Abdullah bin Uraiqat, uh, who also later became Muslim, anhu, but at that time he was not a Muslim. He was, uh, all, was still hadn't entered Islam. Uh, we learn from this, of course, that people of good faith, they helped Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam even when they were not Muslim. Alhamdulillah. Uh, also tells us that taking the help of somebody who is not Muslim is not haram. It is, uh, it is perfectly acceptable. Now, uh, these four uh, companions, they reached the camp of... Uh, uh, now, at that time, uh, she was from the, from the tribe of Khuza, who were uh, the allies of uh, Abdul Muttalib, the family of Nabi Sallallahu At that time, her husband was not there. He had taken the sheep and so on for grazing. There was only a sickly goat, which was uh, one, one side of the camp was shaded and this goat was in that side of the camp and there was nothing else. So, Nabi Sallallahu and his companions, uh, they came there and uh, Abu Bakr Siddiq asked Umm Ma'bad, uh, he said, is there anything that you have, uh, any meat or any dates or any milk or something uh, which you can give us and we will buy it from you. They are not asking for charity. So, we will buy this from you. Do you have anything? So, she, she said, Wallahi, if there was anything with me, you would not need to ask. So, Rasulullah said, um, that goat which is there, one sickly goat, he said, uh, does that give any milk? So, she said, if that goat could give milk and if it was healthy, then this goat would have gone grazing with my, with the flock, rest of the flock. It would not be here. It is here because it is sickly and it is dry. There is no milk in this goat. Rasulullah said, uh, will you allow me to milk this goat? So she said, yes, please, most welcome. 
milk the goat. Rasulullah sat down, he took the goat, uh, he passed his hand over the udder, he said Bismillah, and he started, the udder suddenly filled up with milk. Uh, Rasulullah asked for a bowl, Muhammad brought a big bowl, and Rasulullah started milking the goat. The bowl filled up with milk. He gave it to Mamabad. She drank. Abu Bakr Siddiq drank. And they drank. The, 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 the narrator says that they drank fast because they were so thirsty. And they drank to their fill. So, Mamabad drank. Abu Bakr Siddiq drank. Radhalanu. Amir ibn Fuhaira drank. Uh, then Abdullah ibn Uraikad drank. Radhalanu Majmain. And then finally, Rasulullah also drank this milk uh, and he said the cup bearer drinks the last. Then he milked the goat a second time and the bowl filled up again and he passed it around again and the narrator said this time they drank slowly and they enjoyed the, the drink. First they drank quickly because they were so thirsty. Now they were not so thirsty. So, he said they drank slowly and they enjoyed the drink. Again, they drank to their fill. Nabi Wasallam milked the goat for a third time. And the bowl filled up with milk and he gave it to Umm Ma'abad and said, this is yours. And then they left. When Abu Ma'abad Akhtam ibn Abi Jawn al-Khuzai when he returned and at that time they were not Muslim. He saw the milk, he said, where is this milk from? So she said, this goat gave the milk. She said, how can this goat give a look at that? That goat is sick. How can the milk be from the goat? So then described what happened. She said, there was this blessed man who came and with him were three companions. And she told the story, she said, this is what happened here and that is what this milk is from. So Abu Mahabad, anhu, at that time they were not Muslim, he said, by Allah, if I meet him, I will follow him. And we know the story that both of them then went to Medina, they met Rasulullah they accepted Islam and they were among the greatest of the Sahaba. Now when Abu Muhammad came to the camp and asked Umm Muhammad this story, Umm Muhammad described Rasulullah Right? And this description, the, uh, the historians, the writers of the Sirah, they say that many people have described Rasulullah Many, many sahab. Including Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib who was a cousin of Rasulullah who lived with him all his life and he gave and he wrote one of the most eloquent descriptions of Nabi Wasallam. But to this day the literatures of the Arabic language they say that there is no description that matches the description of Muhammad and this was an illiterate Badu woman. But it was the tradition of the Badu that they didn't actually, they couldn't read and write, but they were extremely eloquent and the, and the language for, with them was, that was supreme. So they knew the Arabic language absolutely perfectly. 
But reading and writing was something that they, that you know, many of them didn't do. So when, when we say illiterate, we, are, we don't mean that uh, in any derogatory way. Uh, she was not illiterate in that sense, but meaning that she did, could not read and write, but her eloquence was phenomenal. Now, let me therefore uh, put before you what she said. Uh, this is the English translation, obviously does not do justice to the original in Arabic and there are... Um, Narrations with <coughs> with specific words and what she said and uh, how she said it and why she used a particular word and not another word and so on. Uh, people have written uh, theses on this. Alhamdulillah. So this is uh, her description. She said, I saw a man who was, who was distinctly handsome and of a beautiful countenance. He is well built, neither blemished by a big belly nor disfigured by an unusually small head. The pupils of his eyes are very dark. His eyelashes are very long and the area around the pupils is extremely, extremely white. In another, in another narration, she said that it appeared as if he had applied kohol, you know, surma. His eyebrows are perfectly closed. She said his eyebrows were almost as if they were joined. They were not actually joined. There was a vein in, in the center uh, which was visible. And if, he, if there was any strain, if he was angry or some other strain, then this vein would stand out. His eyebrows are perfectly close. He has very dark hair and, and a rather long neck and a thick beard. When he remains silent... He is ever contemplative and when he speaks, eminence and splendor exhibit in his words. His words are like sliding stringed pearls. In another narration, she said his, word, his words are like, string, are like a string of pearls one after the other. He is a gifted orator whose words are neither too few nor too many. He has the clearest wand and the most audible voice as he speaks. When you look at him from afar, he is the most handsome of all people. And when you move closer to him, he is the most pleasant of them. In another narration, he said, when you look at him from afar, he stands out amongst his companions as if he is the tallest. Although he may not be the tallest. And he said, when he is, when you, when he is close to you, when you speak to him, you are struck by his akhlaq, by the way he addresses you, the way he speaks to you. You will never be tired of looking at him. He is like a branch between two branches. He is the most handsome of the three and most important of them. He has companions who honor him. When he speaks, they listen to his words. And when he commands, they hasten to carry out his orders. They serve and gather around him. He neither frowns nor nags. Huh? And remember, this woman saw him once. That's it. One time. And this is all she, after that, after, of course, after she met him in Madinah and so on. But this description was written after or was said after she saw him just once. Now see the, the eminence of Muhammad what kind of intellect she must have had, what kind of observation fa faculty she must have had. 
in Islam, women have a huge, huge, huge position. The, the present patriarchy that we see around the world, where women are relegated to some, you know, ditch somewhere, and uh, as if they have no existence. This is not Islam, believe me. This is not Islam, this has never been Islam. This is not how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended it. This is not how Rasulullah intended it. This is not how he treated women. This is now not how the Sahaba treated women. This came much, much centuries later. And this is the result of patriarchal cultures in different societies which seem to have, uh, you know, overpowered us and removed Islam from our lives. It's an absolute tragedy. We, this is something that should be completely and totally removed. Right? And unfortunately, I mean, this is a bit of an aside and I'm going to stop saying this after a little while. Uh, unfortunately, because of this now, there is a reactive uh, re- reaction from, um, from the women, uh, which also makes no sense. So there is this uh, ridiculous rebellion against everything. Uh, women, uh, you know, attempting to or claiming to do all kinds of stuff. Uh, none of that makes sense. So the issue is not to be needlessly reactive and and uh, confrontational, but to understand uh, what is the actual position of men and women in Islam. In Islam, men and women, there is no difference. They are equal in every single aspect. There is difference in primacy of roles. There is no difference in between a man and a woman intrinsically uh, in terms of them as human beings. Absolutely zero difference. There is no difference. A man is equal to a woman in every single respect. They are equal to each other in duties. They are equal to each other in rewards. They are equal to each other in every respect. There is a difference in primacy of roles. What is a man supposed to do which he will be held accountable for? If a woman does that, no problem. If she does not do that, she will not be held accountable. But for the man, he is accountable. Similarly, what is it that a woman should do which she will be held accountable for? If a man also does that or helps her, no problem, alhamdulillah. But if he does not do it, there is no sin on him. But she will be held accountable. There is a difference in these two. This is not my topic here. So we are not going to go further into this. But just to underline this. So here is Muhammad radiallahu anha. Who is a woman, who is a Baddu woman, she is not a greatly educated, uh, you know, professor from somewhere. But her position in the Sirah, her position in the Sunnah, her position in Islam is absolutely superior. There is no one who exceeds that uh, in terms of what she gave and her contribution, which is the description of Muhammad Rasulullah wasallam, is at a level which uh, you, one, one cannot compare this to anything else. So this was Umm Abad radiallahu description of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So why must we are talking about why we must love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So I began with the physical description which is that here is the description of somebody who is so impressive and who is so beautiful and who is so uh, amazingly, uh, you know, he draws your love and your affection. Why would you not love Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? And remember, this description is being given by a person who at that time was not Muslim. You have to keep the context in mind. So, you're not talking about somebody who was a Muslim who spent years in the company of Islam and therefore, you know, fell in love with him. No, this is one person who saw Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. At that time, she was not Muslim. When she met him, she was not Muslim. She saw him, she saw him one time and this is what she has to say about him 
alayhi salam. The radiance of Rasulullah the nur from the face of Nabi sallallahu alayhi salam, there are many, many hadith related to this. Shamayr Tirmidhi has them, many places uh, these have been narrated. Just a couple of them for you. Jabir bin Samura radiallahu said, I saw him one full moon night. I looked at him. He was dressed in a red and that red is actually a mistranslation. It was a, like a more, uh, you know, dark orange kind of uh, garment. I compared him with the moon and found that for me, he was better than the moon. Uh, many of the Muhaddithun, they have said, uh, the sun is brighter than the moon. So why did the Sahaba always mention Nabi Wasallam's face and why did they say the moon instead of the sun? Um, they said that the sun is brighter but you can't look at the sun because it hurts your eyes. Whereas the moon, you can sit and look at the moon all night. And therefore, the radiance of Rasulullah's face was such that it didn't hurt you. You could look at him and you could continue to look at him. The Sahaba used to do that. They were both uh, things that Sahaba used to do. Uh, this is the, the beauty. That's why I keep saying, you know, read the Sira Because the Sira is uh, it's fantastic. It gives you an understanding of what real Islam is. There were Sahaba who looked at his blessed countenance and they said we would look and we would not even blink. Because we didn't want to lose even that you know, the, 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 the time that it takes to blink an eye, we didn't want to lose even that from looking at, it, at his face. Uh, uh, the other Sahaba, uh, Amar ibn As, for example, uh, they asked him, describe Rasulullah to, to us. He said, I cannot describe Rasulullah. They said, what? Why can't you describe Rasulullah? You, you spend so much of time in his company. He said, I cannot describe him because I never had the courage to look at him directly. Now, this was the other, on the other side. They said, he said, I, we did, we, he said, I did not have the courage to look at him directly to, 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 you know, for the eyes to me, to look at the face. He said, I always looked down. I never looked at Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam directly. And this is the other side. This is the other that they had for Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless the Sahaba Ridwan and increase their darajat and give them reward as only he can give Jalla Jalalu. Um, Kaab bin Malik Abdelano said when he was pleased, his face would shine with so bright a light that you would believe that it was a piece of the moon. Yeah, the Sahaba said the nur of the face of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said it would shine. It was as if there was a light bulb inside. This is the... Sometimes you see uh, people, especially uh, old Muslim men who have white beards, uh, scholars of Islam, people who have spent their whole life in the service of Islam and so on. You look at their face, you can literally... I can remember some people. uh, You look at their face, it shines. It literally shines like, like a light in the face. And one of my, uh, my Ustad and my Muslim, uh, Had Malana Salman Nadwi from Durban, uh, you look at his face, subhanAllah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect him and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, you know, keep him, give him a long, he's, he's mashallah, now 82 or 83, uh, may Allah give him a long life and, and in perfect health, inshallah. You look at his face, it sh- literally shines. Yeah, he's been here, he's, he's lectured in this hall as well. Many of you have met him. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless him. So many people like that I've seen, this is the, this is the, the, the nur of Iman. 
Now imagine this is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If those who believe in Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are like that, what do you think is himself? Alayhi salatu wa salam. And then Anas bin Malik Abdelano, he said that I have never touched silk or a silky garment softer than his hands. Nor have I smelt a perfume or any scent nicer than his. He's not talking about perfume that Nabi Sallallahu applied. He's talking about his body odor. The, the smell of his sweat. Now, very important, uh, when you listen to or hear or t- read something that people like Anas bin Malik uh, have said, Ali bin Talib have said, these are people who lived with Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Uh, the reason I'm saying that is because, for example, uh, Nabi Sallallahu somebody asked him, uh, how do I know if I'm a good good person? A man came and asked him, how do I know if I'm a good man? He said, ask your wife. Another man came and said, how do I know if I'm a good man? He said, ask your neighbor. Now, why is he saying, ask your wife? Ask your... Because with your wives, with your husbands, generally there are no barriers. There should be no barriers also. I mean, if you are living in a marriage where you uh, always have to wear armor, uh, that's not a marriage. Eh? That's a field of battle. Who is winning? Many people treat marriages like this. They, th- they think the marriage is the field of battle. You know, it's my, today I won this shot, you won this shot, now you're counting. Ten, oh, you still stood up. So, another bang. Right? This is not a marriage. This is, this is a joke. A bad joke at that. Now, in a marriage, there should not be any barriers. And there are no barriers because you do not fear hurt from that person. If you have to guard yourself against your own wife, you have to guard yourself against your own husband, what kind of marriage is that? So, therefore, but at the other side of it is, because there are no barriers, uh, most people are not on their best behavior when they are at home. They feel that, well, you know, in front of my wife, I can do what I want, I can, you know, I don't want to go into description. But anyway, my point is that people behave, behave in ways which are, which they will not do in front of other people, where they are on the best behavior, right? But at home, no. The issue is, that is why Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, ask them, if you, are you a good person or not, ask them, because you, they are bearing the brunt of your reality. So if, if they find that experience is good, then you are good. But you are good to the whole world, but when you come home, you foul mouth everybody, you throw things, you stink up the place, you do all kinds of absolute nonsense, the whole, the, you know, the entire household is, Hairan and Parishan because of you. And then you go outside and you are this absolute epitome of good manners. That's rubbish. That is, that is a joke. That is a false. That is hypocrisy. That is defak. That is acting. Right? Nabi Sallallahu said, don't go by that. Go by what people who are living with you on a daily basis have to say. If they say you are a good person, then Alhamdulillah, Inshallah, you are a good person. So I have my, I have this uh, arrangement with my wife. To say that if anyone asks her what kind of person I am, she must say I am a good person, inshallah. I told you I will give you dalail, proof, evidence of why we must love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Let me make one thing absolutely clear. The love for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi is the essence of Iman. It is a part of Iman. It is not uh, something which is voluntary. It is not something which is discretional discretionary. It's not something that is left to you. Uh, here is Muhammad Wasallam. Uh, if you feel like loving him, love him. If you don't feel like loving him, that's okay. Uh, you are fine with Allah. No, you are not. 
The love for Muhammad sallallahu is a condition of iman. If you do not love Muhammad sallallahu then you are not a Muslim. You are outside of, of Islam. If you, meaning if you hate him or if you dislike him and so on and so forth. To the extent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did two things. Now I don't think anything can be clearer than this. One, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quantified and specified what the love of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam should be. Right? So if I say, well, I love Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and you ask me how much, so how do I say that? Allah told us how to say it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us a meter to judge whether we love Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam or not, and love him in which way? Love him as approved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the first thing which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did, did Jalla Jalaluhu when he defined the love for Rasulullah. The second thing which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Jalla Jalaluhu did was he directly ordered this. And then he said, if you do not have that, then get out. And wait for my azab, wait for my punishment. On this basis, I say that one who does not love Allah, uh, the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the way Allah has described, the one who does not do that is not a Muslim. Why do I say that? Not my fatwa. This is what the ayat tells us. Because who will, who is assured of the azab of Allah? Not a Muslim. What is the ayat? The ayat is the ayat from Surah Tawbah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, bismillahir rahmanir rahim, qul in kana abaukum wa abnaukum wa ikhwanukum wa azwajukum wa ashiratukum. So this is one group, number one. So count as we go. Wa amwalun ikhtaraftumuha, second. وَتِجَارَةٌ تَخْشَوْنَا كَسَادَهَا Three. وَمَسَاكِنُ تَرَضَوْنَهَا So, four things. The first group has four in it. The others are each. So, totally eight things. And I'll describe to you, I'll tell you what they are. أَحَبَّ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَجِهَادٍ فِي سَبِيلِهِ فَتَرَبَّسُوا وَتِجَارَةٌ تَخْشَوْنَا كَسَادَهَا وَمَسَاكِنُ تَرْضَوْنَهَا أَحَبَّ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ أَحَبَّ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَجِهَادٍ فِي سَبِيلِهِ فَتَرَبَّسُوا فَتَرَبَّصُوا حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ اللَّهُ بِأَمْرِهِ وَاللَّهُ لَا يَهْدِي الْقَوْمَ الْفَاسِقِينَ 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala counted out eight things. Those eight things which we love the most. Allah said, say to them, Ya Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if your fathers and mothers, your sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters, your wives and husbands, and your relatives, so these are five things, your parents, your children, your siblings, your spouses, and your relatives. Then, number six, the wealth that you have accumulated, the wealth that you have earned and gained and inherited, the wealth that you have accumulated. That is number six. Number seven, the commerce or businesses in which you fear a decline. And eight, the dwellings, the houses that you build in which you delight. You look at the house and you say, Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah, this is my house. And then, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Allah said, if these are dearer to you, ahabba ilaykum, ahabba ilaykum, if these are dearer to you, now, I want you to give me your attention. Look at the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described here. Love for parents, is it haram or haram? Not only is it halal, it has been, taqid has been made. It has been emphasized in the Quran not once, several times. Honor your parents, lower the wing of kindness to your parents, obey your parents, accept when they tell you to disobey Allah and so on and so forth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned parents, has honored parents, has told us to be dutiful to them, to obey them and so on and so forth. So love for parents, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, when you love your parents, as a means of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, this is ibadah. In one hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, if you look at your father with love, you're not even said anything, you're just looking at him with love, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you the reward of hajj. Yeah? Of course, father should be worthy of looking at with love. There's a, there's a concomitant responsibility. Sometimes, unfortunately, what happens is we have this tendency. For example, spouses. Eh? The husband will come to me. Please tell my wife what are my rights. Sure, of course. You have got rights on your wife. No doubt about that. No denying that. But your wife also has duties. You also have duties towards your wife. Are you fulfilling those? Are you fulfilling your duties towards your wife? Because if you were fulfilling your duties towards your wife, maybe this conversation was not required. Right? If the wife has duties towards the husband, is she doing them? She's very concerned. What is my husband's duty to me? Yeah, of course, absolutely. No doubt about that. No denying. Husband has duties towards you. But are you fulfilling your duties towards the husband? If you are doing that, maybe this conversation is not required. So here you are talking about parents... We have our children have a duty towards the parents. There is no doubt about that. And this is not conditional. It is not that you have to respect your father only. You respect your father because he is your father. Even if he is a shaitan, no problem. You still respect him. However, the father, the mother also have a concomitant responsibility to become worthy of respect. If you are going to behave like a monkey, you will be, created, you will be treated like a monkey. I mean, don't blame somebody for that because this is what you brought on yourself. Parents must be, for example, you find parents who will smoke, who will drink. 
In the house, when they are in, in the family, they will curse. They use foul language. And then you expect the, the children to respect you. How is that going to happen? Tell me. I still remember when I first came back from America uh, in 2000, I was invited to a family gathering. So it was a whole big Kumba Kabila which had got together. And uh, usually, I mean, every time they invite me for a meal, I've never had a free meal in anybody's house. So they invite me to a meal, they say, please say, say something. So I've got to pay for my meal and the ones who are listening, they have to pay for their meal by listening to me. So anyway, that's the, the deal. So I was asked to speak something. You know, before I started speaking, one of the young ones, at that time, he must have been maybe 12, 13 years old or something. He came and whispered something in my ear. Allah is witness. What he said to me, I know. What he said, if he remembers, he will know. And he's not one of you here. So don't like, don't look at each other's faces. You know what he said to me? He says to me, Yaar uncle, ye ko boliye, ke mat kha he is telling, he is talking about his own parents, he is talking about his uncles and aunts. He tell, he whispers, he tells me, tell them don't use up other people's properties, tell them don't eat up other people's lands, don't eat up other people's properties. Now my point is, if this is your, this is the actual impression you have created on your children. You lie, you cheat, you bribe, you steal other people's things, you do all of this and you expect your children are going to love you. How will they love you? They may still honor you because of the duty towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So your son might not curse you or your daughter might not curse you. They will still behave, alhamdulillah, all power to them. But you are going to be in serious problems before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of your behavior. Don't, don't think that, you know, children have to, children, as I said, children still must honor you. There is no doubt about that. Children must still be respectful towards you. I'm not saying, but the parents have an equal responsibility to be respect, to be respectable. And if you don't do that, then you know, may Allah forgive us. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is counting out things, love for parents, love for your children. Again, when we love our children, when you do tarbiyat for the children, this is ibadah before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah will reward you. Your children are your sadaqatu jariya. Whether your children are sababul jariya or azabul jariya, this is for you to decide. This is how you bring them up. But they are going to be, their deeds are going to be for you after you die. Your brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what did Allah say about the brothers? Allah said something about Muslim brotherhood, blood brotherhood, actual family brotherhood is, you know, if anything, even more than that. One simple thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said is, He said, forgive your brother or sister 70 times. Servant, hadith, a man came to Mr. Salam and he said, my slave, my servant does all kinds of things. Uh, how much, how many times should I forgive him? Rasulullah said 70 times. And then he said every day. Huh? 70 times each day. And that is for who? For a servant. So how much more for your brother? This is the 
Please understand this. You know, we like to talk about the, the, the Ansar and the Muhajirun and the Ikhwa, the Ukhuwat of the Sahaba, the brotherhood of the Sahaba, how they loved each other and how they were together with each other and so on. Please, this is not accidental. This is not accidental. This is not some wazifa that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, you know, recited and uh, blew over them and everybody. No. This is the result of effort. This is the result of forgiving each other over and over and over and over. It does not happen easily, but it can be done even today. It is as easy as that to finish all the divisions of this ummah if we are willing to forgive each other. Nothing more is required. This entire Ummat of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whatever our number is, people keep on, you know, uh, mentioning various numbers with great authority. I don't know where they get the numbers from, but whatever that is, all of the divisions of this ummah will be gone like that. If we do only one thing, which is we follow this hadith of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, forgive each other 70 times every single day. That is all that is required. Nothing more is required. So, this is the issue of brothers and sisters. Then, spouses, I already mentioned that. Rights of each other, duties of each other. The nikah is an ibadah. The nikah is the thing which happened before we came to this earth. And the nikah is the thing which will remain after we leave this life. I don't know how many of you ever thought of the nikah in that context. The nikah of Adam alayhi salam, all other ibadat are done in this world. Except the nikah, the nikah was done before this world. The nikah of Adam alayhi salam and Hawa alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did in Jannah. And the nikah, the relationship of the husband and wife, will remain after we after we leave the ayat of, of Suratul Yaseen where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Jannah they will be in shade and they will be on, on beautiful couches and so on so my wife is looking at me and maybe she is saying what <coughs> but Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said all the problems of this life will not be there so my nagging won't be there and so on and so forth so you know you can relax this nikah these spouses then what about wealth what about halal income the wealth of Osman bin Affan radiallahu the wealth of Abdul, Abdul Rahman ibn Awf anhu. Was this uh, halal or haram? Rasulullah one of the people who will be rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the person who does business halal. To do business halal according to the sunnah of Rabbi is ibadah. So the wealth you accumulate is not referring to some interest income that you got from somebody. He's talking about halal income. Alhamdulillah. <clears throat> business in which you fear a decline yes business is there business is halal because there is a possibility of decline and we obviously we fear it maybe it goes up maybe it goes down we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we make dua 
And the last one, the houses you build. Again, I am not talking about you build a house with haram money and write Hazam in Fadda Rabbi. No. You are talking about halal, halal income and halal, halal house. Dunya varga kamala karke uske par Hazam in Fadda Rabbi. Hazam in Ghadabu Rabbi likhna chahiye. So anyway, <coughs> the houses. Now, the reason I am talking about this and mentioning all of this is to, for you to emphasize this point. That all the things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in this ayah are all good things, are all things which we should love, which we should appreciate and so on. But what is Allah saying here? Is Allah saying don't love your parents anymore, don't love your children anymore, don't love your spouses? No, Allah is not saying that. Allah is saying you love all of them, alhamdulillah, very nice. But if you love them more than you love Allah, if you love them more than you love Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and if you love them more than these two people, then there is a big problem. Ahabba ilaykum min Allahi wa Rasulihi. Now Allah said, wa jihadin fi sabilihi. What is that jihadin fi sabilihi? Allah is saying it is not enough for you to claim I love Allah more than anybody else. I love Muhammad more than anybody else. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allah says, prove it. Show it. And that showing that proof is jihad fi sabilillah. Struggle in the path of Allah. Working for the deen of Allah. Giving supremacy and primacy to the order of Allah over everything else. Giving supremacy and primacy to the sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa over everything else. You love Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Show it. You love Allah. Show it. Not enough to claim. Ahabba ilaykum. If all of these are more beloved to you. Min Allahi than Allah wa Rasulihi than Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam than his messenger wa jihadin fi sabilihi than working in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then what does Allah say? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Rabbul Arshil Kareem Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Maliku Samawati Walard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Badiyu Samawati Walard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Radzakhuzul Quwwatil Mateen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Malikul Mulk Zul Jalali wal Ikram. Allah says, Fata Rabbasu, get out. Get out, buzz off, vanish, disappear, go and hide in some corner. But my azab will find you. Hatta yati Allahu bi amri, go and wait for my azab. Go and wait for my order. My decision of punishment which will come to you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reiterates that and says, Wallahu la yahdil al fasiqeen. Allah does not guide the people who are rebellious. Allah does not guide the people who do not love Allah more than anyone else. Allah does not guide the people who do not love Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam more than anyone else. And it is my personal experience in life, Wallahi. Allah is witness. My personal experience in life. I have seen people guided to Islam who were in terms of their actions. I don't know any murderers. But other than that. I know people who did anything possible and most things unmentionable. 
they were not muslim they were mushrikun they were kuffar they drank they fornicated they did drugs they did they lied they cheated they did all kinds of stuff allah guided them allah guided them they came to islam alhamdulillah they are beautiful brothers and sisters but in my experience i also know many people who are disrespectful to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam who deny his ahadith who reject his ahadith who do not speak about him with respect who just say muhammad said this muhammad said that now billah in their actions these people have beards these women have hijab they pray five times a day they read quran they know quran well i have seen them the beards went the hijabs went the sala went the quran went and they went i have not seen a single one of them who got hidayat they stayed on that false aqida of disrespect for muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and they died on that false aqida of disrespect for muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam i have not seen a single one who came back wallah alam that does not mean that tauba is not there tauba is there for everybody including those people if they make tauba inshallah almustan yaqeenan allah will give them hidayat and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive their sins i have no doubt about that either but where wallah alam maybe they did not make tauba i have not seen a single one come back it started with speaking about muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam with disrespect and then of course when you have no respect for the nabi then you have no respect for the sunnah so why the beard why the dress why this why that why the hijab that is not required this is not required then i say what about salah oh, no salah means salah means dua i make dua there is no need for salah salah went my brother sister that's why i tell you very very seriously learn your deen there is no substitute for knowledge jahalat is not ignorance is not an option learn your deen only when we learn our deen can we practice this deen properly this deen is not a set of rules and regulations do this don't do that no those are also there but they arise they come out of a foundation there is a well spring of goodness that arises that that creates these rules and that well spring that 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 foundation that fountain of goodness is the taalluq with allah subhanahu wa taala and the taalluq with muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wasallam and that's why i say the kalima itself la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah is this a statement of information or is it a statement of a relationship which one relationship relationship la ilaha illallah there is no one worthy of worship except allah this is a matter of relationship that is why i worship allah subhanahu wa taala it's not an information 
Information the whole world has. Ask anybody, ask any Hindu, any Sikh, any Christian, who do the Muslims worship, they say Muslims worship only Allah. Khala, information he has. But when you say La ilaha illallah, when I say La ilaha illallah, is it information? No, it's a question of, this is my relationship with my Rabb Jalla Jalalhu, that I worship only Him, I ask for help only from Him. Iyaka na'bud wa iyaka nasta'in, oh Allah, I am yours. It's on this basis that I make dua. I Allah, I ask, don't, I don't ask anyone, I ask only you, so give me. Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we are not talking about an Arab leader. We are not talking about a tribal elder. We are talking about Muhammad Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbi wa sallam. My Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Habib of Allah jalla jalaluhu, my relationship with my Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which supersedes my relationship with every single creature on the face of the planet. This is the statement of the kalima is this. Now if you do not understand the spirit of this kalima, then how will you act on this kalima? And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said very clearly, he said, the one who says, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah with ikhlas will enter Jannah. They asked him, Ya Rasulullah, what is the meaning of ikhlas of La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah? He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the ikhlas of the kalima is to do what Allah ordered and to leave what Allah ordered. To do the halal and leave the haram. The amal. That's why I say Islam is the name of a practice. It is not the name of a theology. It's not the name of a philosophy. It is not the name of a theory. It's the name of a practice. And the example I always give is that of martial arts. Whether it is judo, whether it is aikido, whether it is karate, whether it is kung fu, whatever it is. A person who is an expert in that is who? Who knows how to do it. Not who knows about it. I can memorize all the books on Kung Fu. I can, I can write a PhD on Kung Fu. But when it comes to a fight. I am flat on the ground. Because I don't know Kung Fu. I cannot be deemed. To know Kung Fu. Until I can do Kung Fu. That is the meaning of Islam. I cannot be deemed to be a Muslim. Until I am doing Islam. Not by knowing about Islam. Not by memorizing the Quran. Not by memorizing all the kitabs of Hadith. None of that makes me a Muslim. What makes me a Muslim is La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah with ikhlas. In the heart. Unless we work on the heart, nothing else makes sense. Unfortunately, this we have left. We have reduced Islam to a bunch of words which we teach, which we learn, which we memorize, which we regurgitate in the name of examinations, which we get certificates for and we go home and we think our job is done. It is not even started. Forget about done. It hasn't even started. That is why we have to work on the heart. Taskiyatun nafs wa tarbiyatul akhlaq which begins with the seerah of Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. وصلى الله على نبي الكريم وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين برحمتك يا ارحم الراحمين
وی ول ناؤ بریک فار سم ٹی اینڈ اسنیکس اینڈ دین وی ول کم بیک ان شاء اللہ جزاک اللہ خیر